Today I'm going to share my second to final message, uh, which has some bad news for some bad people in it. And then uh, it's good news for good people in it. And we'll tell you how you can become a good person, amen, um, which is not of your own doing. It is through God, through his, his grace, through his son, uh, that you can become one of those that has your name, the Bible says, written in the book of life. Eternal life is the greatest gift you could ever receive. And we want you to receive that today uh, if you've never done so before. So the title of my message today in Revelation chapter 20, if you want to turn in your Bibles there, Revelation 20, the title is this, Judgment is Coming. Um, you've heard something along that phrase in different uh, form or fashion, uh, not just out of the biblical context, but like in the world, you know, that um, they, they catch somebody who has committed murder and they say, judgment is coming. We're putting him up on trial. He is going to be judged for the things that he's done. And so uh, we said last time, last week we had a missionary speaker, but the last message, which was the first part of chapter 20, we talked a little bit about judgment. And I encourage you, if you were not present for that message, please go listen to it on the podcast. I don't say that because I think I'm that great of a speaker. I don't say it because the church makes money when you do it. I say it because it's a blessing to you spiritually to stay in track, on track with the message. In that message, I said this, and I will repeat it again today for your benefit, but still go listen to the message. And that is, we are called in Scripture to not be judgmental, as it regards our attitude towards others, but we are very clearly told in Scripture that we are to be judges. So you need to know the difference, and you can listen to that message and find out. Um, I, I believe that's a, a misunderstanding, uh, and there's chaos that's been created in the body of Christ about, you can't judge me, only God can judge me. That sort of attitude has got to go. We need to actually be... <laughs> Students of the Bible. Amen. Um, Revelation chapter 20. We're going to jump in verse 11 and read to the end of the chapter. And I've got other texts to share with you today that relate. But this will be our place in Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11 says this. John, still recording the revelation that he is receiving. He says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Notice there's a plurality there. Books, plural, were opened. Then another book was opened. This is a distinct difference, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 15 says, and if anyone's name 
was not found written in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire. This is a tragic ending for many, many people who will be alive at that point and those who have died. The Bible says very clearly in that passage that what John witnessed was, if I could put it like this, you've probably heard a similar phrase, it is God throwing the book at them. It is the full weight of judgment based on the deeds, the acts, the actions that you have done while you have lived. Notice there, it does not say anything about those who uh, believed, those who came to faith in Christ. It says that every person will be judged according to their works. So I want to point out a few things that I think are really important because it's important for us to understand that God is our creator He is the one who established the systems in the earth, even the physical science systems that we have. He established what it is for us as humans to live on earth. And he has rightful ownership to tell us what to do and what not to do. I think for a long time, the church just preached about what not to do. And maybe you grew up in a church like that that was very hardline. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. In fact, we could, um, how many of you had some weird stuff that they said you couldn't do, right? Let me see your hands, okay? Some weird stuff. Okay, we couldn't go to dances, not even a high school dance, okay? That was, that was going to lead to unwed pregnancy, okay? Um, You couldn't get that close to people, okay? Couldn't get dressed up and do that kind of thing. Uh, We couldn't do, and it's still in our camp information as of like five, ten years ago, the term mixed bathing. And the first time I read that, I was like, huh? Ain't no mixed bathing going on. What were they saying? They were saying boys and girls shouldn't be at the pool at the same time at camp. And for good reason, okay, you know, middle schoolers, high schoolers, you know, they, they're not paying attention to the volleyball and the game, right? They're paying attention to other people and things. And so they put some of these rules in place that we laugh at now, or even the terminology we laugh at, but they weren't all bad. Can I get an amen? They weren't all bad. They were encouragements for us to live in a right way. But I think if we think that religion and truly a relationship with God is nothing but a list of don't, 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 then we definitely do not understand the God of all creation who has given us a very wide birth or array of things, a huge spectrum of things that you can and should do. Amen? So don't think about just the negatives. This is for the teens in the room today. Don't think about the don'ts. Think about the freedom that comes from obedience. And I can't say that is just for a teenager. It's to Brother Paul, who might very well be the oldest gentleman in the room today. And this, I'm sorry, I'm highlighting your age. But he's got a list of things that he should and should not do. And that's not just what his wife gives him. It's what the Holy Spirit through God's word tells him. 
Should he be kind? Yes, he should. Should he not this? Yes, he should not that. You know, and so there's a, this idea that I think we harp on the things we shouldn't do. Here's what I'm getting at today. The Bible says in Romans that unbelievers, those who have not come to faith in Christ Jesus, are storing up for themselves God's wrath. The God of all creation, who set the systems in place and did give us some do's and don'ts, he is the one who says he rewards those that do good, which is obey him, and he penalizes those who don't. We could get all sidetracked, and I'm sure you've had conversations with a coworker or a family member, somebody who maybe didn't agree with your choice of faith in Jesus Christ, and say, oh, well, how could a loving God do that? How could a loving God, blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you, he is not a just God if he doesn't reward us all. Did you hear me? He's got to reward those who are wicked with the punishment they deserve. And he's got to reward those who are covered, to use the old terminology, covered in the blood of Jesus, washed in the blood, who've been redeemed and reward us for the things that we've done in his name and for his sake, for his kingdom on this earth. That's a good thing. It should, instead of you thinking about the negative stuff you shouldn't do, you should think about the good things that God says he's prepared for you to do. Amen? The Bible is clear about this. In Romans chapter 2, and if you've ever wondered about the um, questions of grace and works, Romans is a good place to go, so is Galatians. But Paul tells the Romans that we should understand that God's kindness is a tool that he uses to lead us to repentance. Remember, repentance is turning away from something bad and turning towards something that's good. It's replacement, okay? And so listen to what it says in Romans chapter 2. You can go there. We're going to read several verses. Romans chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. It says this, Paul writing to the Romans, But because of your hard and impenitent unrepentant, that's another word, like disobedient heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6 says this as clear as day. He will give, he will render to each one according to their works. So rewards for believers who have done good works, punishment for unbelievers who have disobeyed. Listen to me. You may not want to think about it like this, and I believe that there are some great spiritual warriors in this room who have done many great things for God. But if I had to stand next to Billy Graham in heaven, I have to believe that his reward will be greater than mine. You say, well, Pastor, how is that? I think, you know, we're all equal. We're even footing. No, we're not. Because it says we're going to be judged according to our works. He's ministered and millions of people have come to faith in Jesus Christ as a result. I've led a handful of people in my life personally to the Lord. And I've preached never to a crowd larger than a few hundred. His deeds are greater than my deeds. And I'm okay with that. 
Can I get an amen? Are you following this today? Okay, so it says, he'll render to each one according to his works. Verse 7 in chapter 2 of Romans says this, To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking, let me give you an easier word. Those who are selfish, those who just want their own way, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. Verse 11 says this, for God shows no partiality. What Paul is saying, let me help you understand this because of my studying of the subject. Paul is talking to those who are Jews by ethnicity and by belief who have become Christian because they believe now that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. There is a separation in their mind between them, God's only chosen people, and those people. Paul is saying there's no difference. If you don't have him in your life, if you haven't submitted yourself to him, if you're not living right according to his word, you are the same. It doesn't matter that you're part of God's special chosen people ethnically. It matters that you've given your life to God because he shows no impartiality. He doesn't have favorites when it comes to this. He can't say, oh, well, you know, Billy Graham is my favorite, so he's getting more blessings or more rewards. No, he is saying Billy Graham has done more than you. And that's okay. Here's the thing. We're going to be in heaven with him. That's the reward I need. That's the reward you should want. And even more so, you say, well, pastor, that kind of sounds like you're scratching an itch for us to be selfish and do things for God just so that we get a big reward. No, it's to understand there is a motivation. There is a motivation for you to obey the Holy Spirit when he says to you, talk to that person at the grocery store. There's a motivation in your heart that should be present in your life for you to do good works. After you have become a believer and you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you know that he wants you to do something. Don't reject him. Obey him. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I subbed at um, CCA, and I've been doing that quite often. I subbed for one of our coaches who has gone on a conference uh, for an entire week. And um, it was a little bit of mayhem, uh, depending on the day and depending on who showed up, like what kids were absent. Suffice it to say, the room was very dirty, okay? High, junior high, high school, they leave pencils, they eat candy in the room they're not supposed to, they leave wrappers on the floor. You don't have five minutes before every bell to get everybody to clean up. And so at some point, the cleaning guy had forgotten that we live in that room, and he didn't do it either. And here's what I did. I walked in my final day. I knew Coach was coming back the next day, and I said this, who in here wants $5? All of them raised their hand. I said, who in here wants $5 for doing something? 
And a couple of the hands went down because they weren't sure what I was going to ask. And then I asked this young man who came up to me and said, PD, I will absolutely get that $5. Tell me what I got to do. Vacuum. So we turned on a vacuum and he vacuumed the floor. He was rewarded. And then the others were like, oh, all he had to do was vacuum? I could have made $5. They were all frustrated about that because they didn't receive the reward. That's a super simple way for us to understand. When God tells you to do something, you should do it. And it's not just a sin issue, a heart issue, a a don't murder your boss issue. Okay? It's a, should I be kind in my approach to this person? The Holy Spirit tells you, "Ah, easy, Sam. Don't say those words to your wife. Then maybe we should not tell him to shut up and tell our spouse to shut up. And then, but maybe we should obey and do good. God shows no partiality. So you're going to be judged according to your deeds while on earth. This is an important reminder, I think, for us. As believers, the majority of us in this room today, I know to be established believers. It is a great reminder. You say, Pastor, are you trying to give guilt trip me into signing up to serve in a ministry? No, that might be the Holy Spirit doing that. That's not me. But I'm telling you, there are rewards for those that obey and do God's will. And he's got more planned for you than to just sit and spectate. He wants you to hold a baby in the nursery. You say, no, the parents need help so they're not distracted. Mm -mm. You're thinking about it too simplistically on the human level, and you're not seeing it as an opportunity from God. God needs, your church family has needs that you can meet yourself. And it, it doesn't mean that you have to write a big check. It could mean that you show up an hour early and help out in the sound booth. It could mean that if you've got a decent voice, you try out for the worship team and help with the rotation. It could mean if you're a smiling extrovert that could be at the front doors, you could shake everybody's hand. You could serve God and do good and it be a reward to you. It's a reward while you're doing it, but it's also a reward in heaven later. The fact is God wants you. Let me look this way so you're not looking at me. God wants you to do more. For his kingdom. Do more. You say, Pastor, you sound like you're just telling us that we're not doing enough. I'm not mad at you. I I don't have any huge hole in any ministry that I'm like, oh, nobody signed up for this yet. We're we're okay. We'd be okay if you kept sitting on a pew. This pew, a chair. We'd be okay with that. We'd make it with that. But we have an elderly woman who cleans this church hours and hours a week. I'm sure she would love to help. Anytime. She'll take extra hands. I don't know how, but one of these back rooms, Miss Dawn, got clean, spick and span. Stuff moved around, a lawnmower, everything. And I walked in after being gone all week in Washington, D.C. and went into that room. And I thought, the opposite of a tornado came in. (laughs) Because it had previously looked like for weeks a tornado had been circling in that room. And now it's decent and in order. And I'm thankful. 
So there are things to do, and it can be done. It doesn't mean you sign a contract in blood. I'm just telling you, when the Holy Spirit says to you, talk to that cashier about your faith, when he says to you, you know what? There is an opportunity the church has talked about recently, and I, I probably could do that. Then jump in because we're earning rewards in heaven. Lord knows I don't want to show up, and I know this is a little bit too casual to say, but I don't want to show up and be in a shack next to Billy Graham's mansion. I know that sounds selfish. Here's the thing. If you're obeying, you're not truly doing it for the reward you're getting. You're doing it because you love the one who's going to give you a reward. We don't give because we get back. We give because we love. I think there's a verse in scripture about that, John 3.16, that he gave because he loves. He gave all. And so for us to um, do a little bit more is demonstrating our love. And God says, don't worry. It's not going to go without some sort of an allowance, a benefit, a, a blessing, a, a reward. He wants to do this for his children. So one group of people will receive rewards. And the other will receive penalties. This is the tough part. But I think there's three important distinctions or several important distinctions to understand. The first is this. Distinction number one. I've said this already, but very clearly stated, believers will be rewarded. Christ's righteousness, this is really important because I'm trying to summarize every bit of the New Testament with these few statements today to help you understand grace and works. Not grace versus works, but grace and works. Christ's righteousness has been credited to us as believers and our names have been written in the book of life. So we'll be rewarded, not punished, for the works that we perform according to his word and will on this earth. That is a good thing to think about. That your God, your Father, your Heavenly Father who loves you, has a reward waiting for you. In fact, his son said, I'm going to prepare a place for you for eternity. The blessing of being in his presence is primary. All the other stuff is secondary. But if you live one day on this earth after salvation, you should be considering what can I do to honor and to demonstrate my love to God. Let me stop here and give a caution because I talked about being involved in ministry. If you hate kids, do not sign up for the nursery. Okay? I'm talking about stuff. See, God has gifted you with certain things. If you noticed when I gave that promo a minute ago, I said if you're extroverted and always smiling, then you could be at the door. If you're an introverted, shy person who doesn't really like striking up conversations with random people, then I don't think you'd make a good fit. And I'm pretty sure God wouldn't ask you to do something that's outside of your nature. It might be outside of your comfort zone but not outside of your nature. So God wants to give you something to do for his glory in his body to benefit his kingdom that is something that you can already probably accomplish. Isn't that right, Miss Julie? It is. The second distinction is this, distinction number two. Unbelievers will be penalized. 
So not only will they suffer a fate, an eternal fate without God in his presence because they did not believe, but they will also receive a, if you want to call them all rewards, they will also receive a reward for their deeds done while on earth. Now, the kindly, warm-hearted grandmother who was sweet to her grandkids and lived a good and healthy life on this earth but did not know Jesus, she will find herself in an eternal separation from God. You, you cannot be good enough to earn God's grace. There's no way to do it. But I've got to tell you that the psychos filled with demonic passion that invaded a country recently and murdered innocent civilians, they're going to receive a punishment that's different than grandma. Hello? So if it works on one side, it's got to work on the other side. So the reward being different for Billy Graham and myself is going to be different punishment for the unbeliever who essentially you know, lived a life just without God, and then that person who committed heinous acts of evil that ended the lives of others. I listened to a story this week, um, uh, an incredible story, and maybe I'll share it with you at some point and tell you the name of the person and all that. Over three hours of an interview with a man who lived his life beginning at the age of three, started being abused by one of the six men in his mother's life. There were some sick, crazy occurrences that occurred, like things that happened in his life. Uh, him being forced to kill an animal by his stepdad. Him being forced at the age of eight years old in Mendenhall, Mississippi, to shoot a man in cold blood. He didn't have the strength in his eight-year-old hand to pull the trigger, and his stepdad put his hand around his hand and helped him pull the trigger. There is a dark, dark place for people to earn a reward for the evil that they've committed in this life. The good news is this. That man, after years of therapy, came to Jesus Christ he started a ministry. He's worked with James Dobson. He helps rescue kids in America and around the world who are in abusive situations. And he has forgiven. He was actually able to lead that sick, twisted individual to faith in Jesus Christ on his deathbed. And to say parting words to him, I forgive you. You can't do that in your humanness. You can only do something like that by the grace of God. But I'm telling you, the rewards are going to be different. Unbelievers are going to be penalized for the things that they've done. And I think there's been a lot of confusion and chaos and disagreement within the church about these two things called grace and works. I want to present it really plainly. Distinction number three. It's grace. This is so simple. Stated. It's grace first, then works. You're saved by grace and your faith in Jesus Christ. You can't put enough money in the offering today to make God happy with you. 
Do you understand where I'm, where I'm going? There's nothing that you can do that could have earned your salvation. Paul tells every person, every group of people that he's talking to in all of his letters, he essentially keeps on repeating the same refrain. And that is, you can't earn it because you're so good. You got it because God is so good. So it's grace and then it's works. That's why I talked a minute ago about not being a spectator. We don't believe in spectator Christianity. Listen, I'm not telling you this just about celebrate church. I'm telling you this if you relocate due to your job to Arkansas, to Canada, to Africa, whatever church you find yourself in, you better be carrying the same thought with you. You need to get involved and not just be a spectator. It helps those who are in the family with you, but it also helps you live in obedience to God. There's a blessing all around when you do that. So there's been a lot of chaos and confusion about grace and works, but it's very simple. You are saved by grace, and if you live a day after you have been saved, you had better start getting to work. It helps you demonstrate what God has done in your life. It benefits the kingdom of God. My testimony that I shared this morning in prayer, not only did God give me a dryer this week, but he also saved and redeemed my brother. One thing is much more important than the other. (laughs) I could keep going to a laundromat for the rest of my life. I don't care. I could wash in a creek. There's not much water in any creek around here, but I can do that. But my brother, who has been living away from the Lord, has had failed marriages, has a completely chaotic life, ran from God. This past Sunday, ran back to God and got radically saved. And you know what? His first thoughts and his first words in the car with my mom were, as they were driving away from the church, was, I've got to make some changes. He knew Okay, my life has to reflect this moment. And I think that's, a, that's a, um, a, a misunderstood part or aspect of our life. God doesn't just want you to do devotions and read your word, read his word. He doesn't want you to just pray every day. He actually wants you to be active in the world around you. Be active and be a light in the world. Amen? And so by doing so... We understand God rewards those things that we do that fit into his will, his way, his timing, amen, his word. So, saved by grace and faith in Christ. But if you live for any moment after that moment of salvation, you've got work to do. And that's a good thing. That's awesome. So, Romans chapter 3, verse 28 says this. This is Paul's letter to the Romans. It's a good place, like I said, about faith and and works and grace. It says this in verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So he's writing to these people who have an understanding of God gave them Ten Commandments and a bunch of law to follow. And they can obey all of that and still find themselves without God. They were trying very hard, and the religious sect of the day, whether it be Pharisees, Sadducees, they were trying very hard to honor 
every single piece of 600 plus laws and the Ten Commandments, so much so that they were just bound up in obedience to those things, but they lost the sight of the author. So Paul is saying to them, and for those of you that don't know or need reminding, the word justified means made right. It means to be put in a rightful place in our relationship with God. So Paul says, we hold that one is justified by faith. You've been put into a right relationship with God by your faith apart from anything that you've done to earn it. So you don't do anything to earn it before you get it, and you don't do anything to earn it after you've gotten it. This is not a cop-out for you to not tithe or not serve or not go or not be the light in the world. I'm just saying that those things don't make God love you any more than he already does because he sent his son for you. But how much more so should we be convinced that if our love for God is true and authentic, we should have some sort of outflow of that in our daily lives. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 says this in verse 19. You say, well, pastor, I, I stopped doing the works of the flesh a long time ago. I just do the works that God gives me, the good things. Just wait a second. You might find yourself somewhere in this list. Chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Okay, so listen to me while we go through this list. There are some extreme things that you would never dare do. And then there are stuff that are very common to every one of us. You say, idolatry, I don't have Buddha in my house. I don't bow down to anything. Mm. You probably do in some way, shape, or form. Technology, career, a relationship. You set up a lot of idols in your life. I know I have, and I can't be the only one. And they need to be torn down. But here he says, these are the works of the flesh that are evident. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Any of y'all ever been angry, like big mad, they say? <laughs> fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions. Divisions, envious, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because what you're doing, if you're doing those things, is you are, like we just read in Romans chapter 3, or 2, you are harboring or getting gaining unrighteousness and God's wrath towards you because of the deeds that you've done. Verse 22 has good news for each one of us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You can be gentle. You can be kind. You can be patient. God knows it's hard. <laughs> That's just for me. Um, patience is a, is a hard thing. Joy might be your hard thing. 
Here's what I want you to think about, though. The way that Paul gives this, and we've heard messages on this before. You might have memorized this. You might go to a Christian school and have sung a song about these fruit of the Spirit. I want you to imagine yourself planting your feet and being saved. And in that moment, your roots begin to grow down and the Holy Spirit begins to invade who you are eventually, and it may happen that very day, it may be a work that takes a little bit longer, eventually the fruit that will be hanging from the branches of your life will be these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, all of those things that are mentioned. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified or put to death the flesh with its passions and desires. How many of you have struggled at least once since you've been a believer to crucify the flesh? Okay, so Paul was writing to you. He's writing to me. My hand was up too. Verse 25, I love this. If we live by the Spirit, if we say that we're God's kids and that the Spirit lives inside of us, let us then keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In other words, don't go off track. Don't get off track. If you say that you have God in you, the Holy Spirit who indwells you at salvation, then you eventually will have fruit. It needs to be nurtured, sure. The person who has a major anger problem and deals with some sort of thing, a lifetime of you know 45-year-old person who now gets saved, they might not immediately that day be done with all their anger. The Holy Spirit has to work his fruit into their life in order to get them to the place where they demonstrate that. That's not a cop-out. It's an explanation of the process. If you're missing one of those, you should get them. Being obedient to his word, knowing his word, reading his word will help lead you to understand, oh, wait, I see all these biblical examples that have these guys who got angry and not, nothing went well. Holy Spirit, help me not to be angry so that I don't have a life that leads in that same path. His word, being with his people. If you're around people long enough, they get to know what you smell like and they know that you don't smell that good. We're talking about spiritually, okay? Hopefully everybody takes their shower. They know that you're dealing with pride, even if you're not willing to admit it. They know that you have an anger issue, even if you don't think you do. So being around God's people, being in his word, all of these things help you. Praying, Holy Spirit, help me demonstrate your fruit in my life today. Might just be the winning ticket. Might be the thing that you need to help you with your boss with your spouse, with your kids, okay? It might just be the thing that will help. So we've talked about the fruit of the, the flesh or the works of the flesh, and then we've talked about the fruit of the Spirit being produced inside of us. And he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become prideful, conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In other words, grow up. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm closing with this passage. Worship team, if you'll come. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that anyone can boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. I want you to catch this. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Everyone read the screen. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a very specific design for each one of us. He wants to use the gifts and the talents, your personality, your likes and dislikes. He wants to use those things for his glory within his kingdom to help encourage others, lift others up, to, to benefit your own spirit by being part of a team or serving in some way in capacity. He wants you to be practicing that stuff. That's why, and this is the message for the people who are going to listen to this podcast that don't go to church somewhere. That's why I think it's the hardest thing in the world to be a Christian and not go to church. Because then that means, obviously, you don't have anybody that knows what you stink like. It means, obviously, you don't have to tithe, you don't have to obey, you don't have to serve, you don't have to give, you don't have to sacrifice, you don't have to lead, you don't have to do any of that. My goodness, that's a bad setup. It's unhealthy. That's not what it's about. God is a family man. And he wants as many as can be in his family. So it says there, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, you, we, believers, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared even before you were alive. He knew how you would be gifted and what you would grow to be like. And he wants to use that. Well, pastor, how could God use my desire for things to be clean? Cleaning the church? <laughs> God can use anything. You say, well, I don't have much. Uh, I'm just a grandma. Well, can you pray? <laughs> can, you, can you lead a prayer meeting? Can you be the person who's in charge of the prayer ministry? Yes. There's a lot of stuff you can do. You write those things off. Listen to me. I'm, I'm telling you this in my clothes today because I think for a long time we have written it off. We think inside of a box we created instead of thinking outside the box and being like, huh, I am a pretty good artist. Maybe God can use that. We don't think like that, but we should because he's created us for good works and we'll be judged according to our works. Would you stand with me today? One of these two questions applies to every single one of us in this room. The first question is this, what work, what act, what deed do you need to stop? And I'm not talking about some, you know, antiquated, legalistic sort of thing. I'm talking about something that's detracting from your relationship with God. It's stopping you from the ability to serve in the family of God. It's something that you're doing that is not representative of God's grace in your life and His work in your life. So what is that one work 
that you need to stop? You and only you can answer that. The second question is this, what work do you need to start? You say, well, pastor, I already served um, as a greeter. I, my husband and I, my wife and I, we, we give to the church. Uh, we serve in the music or in the kids ministry and this and that. What work do you need to start? Maybe it's a Bible study at your job to build the kingdom of God. Maybe it's something else, but you've got to think outside the box. You've got to say, Holy Spirit, will you help me? I want to do good. I want to be a light in the world. I want to share my faith with others. So close your eyes today and consider those two questions. Maybe you're here and there is something that you know that you need to stop. Confess that before the Lord today. For the majority of us, it might be something that we need to start. And we just say, Holy Spirit, I'm Father, I'm sorry. I haven't been doing that many good deeds. I really do love you. I want to show you my love. I want to demonstrate that. I want to thank you for your grace in my life. God, open up an opportunity. Give me an idea in how to serve. So those, that, that, those apply to every person in this room, really, technically. But there is a chance that there is someone here today who has not yet received this free gift of grace and the salvation that can come only through Jesus Christ and believing in Him. The Bible says that God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son so that no one would perish. We know that judgment is coming, but it doesn't have to be that bad. It can be a great thing for us if we are living as a child of the King. If that's you today and you say, Pastor, I, I need God in my life. I want to give my life to Him. I want to be saved. I believe He's the Son of God. I confess my sins and I want to give myself to Him today. If that's you, just lift up your hand wherever you are in this room. If there's anybody here, I want to give you that chance.